Well, good morning, Genesis. How are we doing today? Doing okay, barely alive and a little warm. Okay, awesome, awesome. It's good to be here with all of you. My name is Jerry. I'm the campus pastor here in, in Carmel. And if you're new or visiting, I just want to say thank you for joining us today. We think that something special happens when we gather together to worship Jesus for who he is, when we study God's word together and we leave here encouraged. So we're glad to have you with us today. Now, as we begin, I've got a question that I want all of you to think about. When was the last time or a time in your life when you found yourself in a situation where you felt like you didn't fit in at all, okay? You know, one of those times when you felt completely uncomfortable in your own skin and totally totally out of place. If you ever moved as a kid, you understand this, right? Because if you moved, you had to find new friends, but eventually you were going to have to start fresh at a new school and starting fresh at a new school. It can be, it can be pretty brutal, can't it? Especially when it comes to fitting in. And of course, there's that glorious transition that all of us experience in the middle school and high school years. And it really doesn't have so much to do with school as all the changes going on in our bodies and things are happening and we don't feel comfortable anywhere around anybody, right? But here's the good news. This struggle of fitting in isn't just limited to the growing up years, is it? If you're an adult, you know, like fitting in is just a struggle that we have all the time, knowing where, where do I fit in best and, and why, why do I feel, why do I feel this way? If you've ever gone off to college and you don't know anybody on campus, you know how awkward it can be to try to fit in when, when you don't know anybody, you don't have any friends. Or if you've ever dated someone and you got to that point in the relationship where they're like, hey, I'd love for you to meet my parents. You really want to fit in there, don't you, right? And you want them to fit in with you. Or if you've ever relocated and started a new job and met new people in a new city, you know the feeling, right? Well, our family experienced this a few years ago when we relocated from southern Indiana up here to Hamilton County. We were coming from an area where we knew everybody, all of our friends, all of our family, great church network. And we relocated up here and we really only knew one family, okay? And here's the thing, we moved at the very end of summer, and so this is how the timeline worked for us. We moved in, and our kids got to see their new home, and then like three days later, they got on a new bus, went to a new school with new teachers, trying to make new friends in a new area. I was off at a new job in a new part of town, meeting new people, doing things that you do on a new job. My wife was at home in our new neighborhood, in, in our new home with our daughter and no new friends to speak of. And, and so at dinner time, we would talk about how we just kind of felt out of place. And, and it wasn't that it was a bad thing. It was, just, it was just a new challenge for us. And in a lot of ways, it forced our family to think through how and where we defined ourselves and, and how and where we, we thought we fit in. And it can get a little tricky, can it, if we're not careful. Pastor and author Matt Chandler explains it this way. He says, we all have a tendency to define and redefine ourselves on a continual basis. And it might be through the jobs that we have or where we think we land on the socioeconomic scale. But here's the truth. We do this to one another. We don't just do it to ourselves. I don't know about you, the rest of you guys in the room, but whenever I meet somebody new, one of my first questions is, hey, what do you do for a living, right? Because in some way we think, well, whatever they do, whatever you do, whatever I do, it defines me in some way. It helps me find a place to fit in. But Chandler goes on to say this. He says, in our struggle to fit in, if we're not careful, we'll define ourselves by the house we live in, by the car we drive, the job we have, our ability to dress in a certain way, the part of town we live in, our level of fitness, and even the success of our children. So let's be honest with one another for just a moment. How often do we let our GPA, our job title, or our tax bracket define who we think we are and where we think we fit in. 
And deep down, we know this, right? Deep down, we know our identity is so much more than any of those things. But gosh, there is just a trap that is so easy to want to fall, to want to fall into. And so if our identity says more about who we are and how we live, don't you think, wouldn't you agree it would be wise for us to find a way to define our identity that doesn't shift and change based on what the world tells us? Wouldn't it be good to find something or better yet someone to help us define our identity that can help us understand who we really are? And that's why we're kicking off this brand new series today that we're calling Citizens. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be studying a book of the New Testament written by a guy named Paul. We're going to read a chapter a week. And here's our goal in this series. Our goal is to find our true identities as followers of Jesus that in turn learn to live as citizens of heaven in this world here and now. And this idea of heavenly citizenship comes from Philippians 3.20 that says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, and you might be wondering, well, what, exactly, what exactly does that mean to live as a, a citizen of heaven? We're going to talk about that in a moment. But before we do, I want to give you a background on this book or this letter of Philippians so we can understand what it is that we're reading. Uh, the author of Philippians is a guy named Paul. You've probably heard of him before. He's often known as the Apostle Paul. And that word apostle literally just means one who is sent out. But in Paul's case, it's a little more specific than that even. Paul was one of a few individuals who had actually seen and interacted with the resurrected Jesus. He had interacted with him and it changed his life in ways he would have never imagined. But here's the thing, his story is so unique because before he was named Paul, he was actually named Saul. And before he followed Jesus, he persecuted followers of Jesus. He had them arrested and thrown into jail. But at some point in time, Jesus in his resurrected state revealed himself to Saul. And it changed his life. He changed his name to Paul. He became a follower of Jesus. And then he became a traveling evangelist, telling people about Jesus. And he went all around the Mediterranean Rim, planting churches. But here's what's ironic about his story. He was telling everybody about Jesus. And oddly enough, he ended up in prison in a city called Philippi. Now, it's a pretty fascinating story. I would encourage you this week, if you're not familiar with that story, to go read about it in Acts chapters 8 through 16. But that's kind of a backdrop of Paul's story. But here's what's interesting. He gets put into prison in Philippi, but when he gets out of prison, he starts a church there. And several years later, he writes the believers in Philippi to encourage them. And this is where we get this letter known as Philippians. And so today we're going to be moving through Philippians uh, chapter 1, a verse at a time. And I want to encourage you to follow along with us today. If you have a Bible or if you have the Bible on your phone, I want to encourage you to turn there and make some notes. And the Bible's around the room on the floor if you want to follow along. You can turn to page 818. But while you're turning there, I want to take a moment and pray. And I just want to ask for the Holy Spirit's help and guidance as we go through, maybe for some of us, a very familiar book of Scripture. Or maybe for some of us, a brand new book of Scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We're so thankful to get to gather together today to sing songs to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I'm glad that when we gather together, you are with us. Would you give us eyes to see you in a new way today? Would you give us ears to hear your word? Would you give us a heart to receive your word? And would you not just teach us something new? Would you motivate us to live 
in new and different ways. Help us to understand and to grasp this concept of living as a citizen of heaven here and now. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, in the first 11 verses of Philippians 1, Paul spends some time uh, writing the believers and he, he encourages them, he thanks them for their financial support and all of his endeavors. And then he prays for them and encourages them to be united in their love for Jesus and their love for one another. But then in verse 12, he turns a corner and he starts talking about a topic that was very familiar to him and it would have been very familiar to the, the, the believers in Philippi. And it's also familiar to us, but it's a topic that we really don't like to talk about much. It makes us squirm a little bit. It makes us uncomfortable. And it's the topic of suffering, right? Does anybody enjoy talking about suffering, right? We feel it, but we don't want to know that it's coming or we don't necessarily know how to deal with it. Well, Paul addresses it. In verse 12, he says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So this brings up a really important question. Well, what has happened to you, Paul? What, what are you referring to? Well, he's in jail again. And this time in the city of Ephesus, likely. And he's imprisoned for telling people about Jesus. Now, I want you to know, I know myself well enough, if I were in Paul's shoes and I had been imprisoned again, and I had been persecuted for telling people about Jesus, this is probably how I would have started this letter. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that when I think about everything I've had to put up with over the last few years, the opposition and the ridicule and the suffering, I'm not really sure that it's worth it. Nothing seems to be going my way and things just got worse because I've landed myself in prison. Again, please send help. But that's not how Paul starts. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. In other words, he says, look, I know it's been tough lately. It's not, it's not been easy, but it's all good because here's the thing, as I'm in here, more and more people are hearing about Jesus. Isn't, isn't that great? Now, I'm just curious. Is that how you approach hardship and suffering? I don't. I have a lot of growing to do in this particular area, but essentially Paul is reminding those of us that follow Jesus that we should expect suffering, but we don't have to let our suffering discourage us or even define us. Our suffering is an opportunity for us to allow Jesus to work in and through us. And when it comes down to it, that's really what it means to be a citizen of heaven. That's the heartbeat of a citizen of heaven. No matter what ups and downs we face, we keep the focus on Jesus and we help other people interact with him and know who he is. Now here at Genesis, you'll hear us say this a lot. Our mission is to help people find their way back to God. And here's why we say that. Scripture teaches that every single one of us has in some way damaged our relationship with God. We've rebelled against him. We've sinned against him. And so our, our perfect relationship with God has been shattered. But scripture also teaches that that relationship can be restored by putting our trust in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And many of us have, know that, right? We've surrendered to Jesus. We've been baptized into him. But we, we often forget that we are called to live this out. And we forget to, to look around us and to realize that there are people all around us that are far from God. Some of them know it. They feel great guilt and shame over it, but they don't know how to get back. Or some of them are completely unaware and need someone to introduce this concept and this idea of who God is to them. And so we want to join in with the Apostle Paul. We want to be committed to advancing the gospel and helping people be restored in a relationship with their Heavenly Father. 
And so that's why we celebrate things around here all the time. Like a few weeks ago, we collected over $60,000 in our Christmas offering. And we celebrate that because we've said we're giving all that money away to our ministry partners locally and around the world. And, And we celebrate it because we believe it's helping to advance the gospel. We trust that it's going to help people find their way back to God. It's a really cool thing for us to celebrate. Regardless of how we feel, we give and we're generous because we want to advance that gospel message. Or when you hear us challenge you to be a part of a group or to serve on a team, here's why we do that. Because we believe it's better to live in community and to build one another up than it is to live in isolation and to go through life alone. And so when we say, hey, we believe that everybody should be in a group, we we really mean it. We think it's a better way to live life, sharing your life with people. And when we challenge you to serve on a team, we believe that using your gifts and talents and abilities will give you new life and help you see God in ways you've never expected. In fact, I just want to celebrate the fact today we have four new people that signed up to serve on the host team. They were at the doors this morning. And we need many more of you on the host team and with with kids and in the cafe and in the lobby. But we celebrate this because we believe that helps advance the gospel. It gives all of us a really special part to play. Paul was all about advancing the gospel. And he's challenging the people in Philippi, and he's challenging us here today to live as citizens of heaven and be devoted to advancing the good news, to sharing Jesus everywhere we go, no matter what, no matter what it might cost us. And then he continues in verse 13, he says this, as a result, or in other words, because I'm in prison for Jesus, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He continues, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so even though things aren't going according to his plan, he's saying, look, there's a bright side, okay? I'm in here, sure. But people out there continue to hear about my story and they share their faith and people are hearing about Jesus. Now in verse 14, you'll notice that he mentions being in chains. And here was Paul's reality. He wasn't just in prison. He was actually chained to a Roman guard on a chain that was about three or four feet long. And that Roman guard would change about every six hours. Now, can you imagine that being your reality? And just so you know, these Roman guards, they weren't softies. It wouldn't be like being chained to this guy, okay? I mean, he's a little goofy. He might keep you safe, but that's not too intimidating. But a Roman guard, a Roman guard, there were like 12,000 of these hand-picked warriors that came all throughout the Roman Empire. And they were hardened, And this is who Paul was chained to. But I love the way one pastor says this. Paul didn't see it as being chained to a guard. He viewed it as the guard being chained to him because he wasn't going to let it slow him down. He had things to accomplish. And so look at what he says in verse 14. Because of my chains, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul had come to realize the very thing, the very chains that seemed to be slowing him down or causing him to not fulfill his purpose were the very things that God was actually using to advance the gospel in ways he had never imagined. And so I want to ask you a really hard question. I want you to think about this. What is it that you feel chained to today? You know, Paul could say he was chained to a guard, but what do you feel chained to? What's keeping us from living as citizens of heaven? Do you feel chained to a dead-end job? 
you hate the work, you can't stand the people, and if you were honest, you just feel stuck where you are. But is it possible? Is it possible that God has you there for something more than your own personal satisfaction? Is it possible that God wants you to be there to influence the people around you? Or maybe you feel chained to a bad marriage. It started with love and respect, but that's long gone. There's no more love. There's no more respect. And you want out. But could it be that God's trying to teach you something to try to change your heart? And instead of blaming it on not being married to the right person, maybe he wants the two of you to work together to reconcile. Maybe you feel chained to a family that you're fed up with or neighbors that drive you crazy. Some of us might be chained to our favorite Big Ten team. It's rough, right? But maybe you feel chained to a broken down car or a house that won't sell. And you just think, God, why is this happening to me? I just, I want to be happy. Don't you want me to be happy, God? Or, or maybe you feel chained to a broken down body. That's hard, isn't it? What do you, what do, you do about that? But is it possible? Is it possible that God would want to use your suffering and your pain to help you help others know and see his goodness through that process? Maybe, maybe you've said yes to something big for God lately. You've signed up to serve or you're leading a group or you're just serving on a team or you've made a big financial commitment. But all of a sudden, things got real hard. And if we were to ask you, you'd say, it, honestly, it couldn't be going any worse. I'm discouraged. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'm doubting. But what if God wants to use what is pushing in on you to carry you and to help other people see God's goodness in and through this season of life. We all feel chained to something. But Paul believed that his chains could advance the gospel. And I think, I just have to believe that the same is true for all of us. Uh, pastor and author Kyle Eidelman says this, sometimes the chains we curse are God's greatest gift to us. And if we let them, if we let him, he can use our greatest pain to accomplish his work in this world in a very personal way. But let's be honest, isn't it easy to assume that when life is hard and things aren't going our way, that God isn't and can't be at work? But just because you get cut from the team or just because you get passed over for the job or when the test results don't come back the way you want or a loved one gets sick and they leave before you get to tell them goodbye, we would be wise to not assume that God isn't at work that he can't use our pain and our suffering for his glory. And in these verses, Paul is challenging us, those of us that follow Jesus, to rethink how our current circumstances can be used for his glory. And then he kind of turns a corner again in, in verse 15 through 17. Listen to what he says. He says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in change. You know what Paul's talking about? He's talking about a competitive spirit among people, among pastors. And there, there, some pastors were taking advantage of him being in prison to make a name for themselves. But you know what Paul says? He's like, don't worry about it. That's not for you all to worry about. Plus, as long as they're talking about Jesus, that's really all that matters. Keep your focus where it matters. But then in verse 16, he uses a very interesting phrase. He says, I'm here, I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Now, this is a military phrase that indicates a very specific assignment. 
So basically, Paul is saying, I believe God has me stationed right where I am. This is my gospel assignment. And so if that's true for Paul, take a moment and imagine how that could be true for us. Where is your gospel assignment from God right now? I mean, it's probably where you live and the family or the people that you're around, the neighbors that you see on a regular basis, no doubt would be your gospel assignment. It would be true of the school where we or our kids attend or the team that you play on or coach, as well as the work that you do and the people that you rub elbows with on a regular basis. This is a gospel assignment where you can have influence for Jesus. And Paul says, no matter where you are, don't forget you're a citizen of heaven and you should let other people know. Don't let it be a mystery. He continues in verse 18, he says this, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now listen to those words. Paul says, I'm gonna be delivered one way or the other. He didn't know how long he was gonna be imprisoned. He did not know if he would leave alive or dead, but he says, there is an out either way. Listen to what he says in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether, I, whether by life or by death. And then he says this very famous verse. You've heard this before, I bet. In verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, you know how I view it? It's a win-win. If I'm here, I live for him. If I die, I go and be with him. In fact, that's exactly what he says next in verse 22. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will, remain, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. Listen to this. I desire to depart. I desire to die right now and go and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and the joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let those, let those words sink in. Do you view death that way? I don't know that I do. He's saying, being here's great, being there's better. And, and I'm tired of the suffering, but if I stay, I'm gonna keep working hard. I've got work to do. But if I go, it'd be wonderful. Either way, I benefit for Jesus. Now, I want you to take a moment and imagine you're this guy named Paul, okay? You've been in prison for the last five years of your life. Wouldn't it be hard to not be a little mad about that? Because you can't, get those, you can't get those years back. And you've been doing good work. You've been doing God's work. I mean, imagine the churches he could have planted. Imagine the people he could have encouraged. Imagine the people he could have loved to Christ. Imagine, just, he, imagine he likes to have fun and could have gone on a vacation or two in five years. Just imagine. It'd be hard to not be frustrated. But here is the irony for Paul. What he didn't realize is while he was in prison, chained to that guard, he was just writing letters to churches in Ephesus and Rome and Philippi. And what he didn't know was he was writing a big chunk of the New Testament. And his writings have impacted the lives of billions of people throughout the course of time. 
And 2,000 years later, here we are. We sit and we turn the pages and we're, we're learning from him. And so if that's true for Paul, imagine how that could be true for me and you. Whatever we're chained to, wherever we're assigned. What if God doesn't just want to do something with it today in the here and now? But what if he wants to have a future impact that we can't see? And so how we respond right now matters a lot when it comes to advancing his kingdom. And so maybe, maybe the biggest lesson that any of us could learn today when it comes to being a citizen of heaven is that we learn to join Paul in saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then in verse 27, he gives us a summary statement of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. He says this, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, whether I get to see you again or not, whether I leave here alive or dead, no matter what you're chained to, no matter where you're assigned, no matter what diagnosis you get, and even if there's nothing in life that turns out the way you ever want, no matter what happens, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Of Jesus. And then listen to this. He ends in verse 29 by saying this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Paul says, as followers of Jesus, we don't just believe in him. We don't just live sanitized lives. We are guaranteed to suffer for him and we should embrace that suffering. In fact, the word granted See where it says granted on your behalf? That word granted comes from the same word that we get the words grace and favor from. Paul is saying suffering for Jesus is an honor. It's a sign of God's grace and favor towards us. It's not an either or, it's a both and. You believe in and you suffer for. Now as we wrap up, I wanna circle back on this idea of what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven. We said it comes from Philippians 3.20, where Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there. Now, at first glance, it's easy for us to think of our citizenship in heaven more like an eternal retirement community, where we'll go one day after we die, and there will be things like golf and pickleball, right? It's easy to think of heaven that way, but actually theologian N.T. Wright says a better understanding of this verse helps us understand that's really not what it means at all. A better understanding of this verse will give us a better perspective of how to live right now today. In Paul's day, being a Roman citizen was a really big deal. It was a very high honor. Not everyone was a Roman citizen. Paul himself was a Roman citizen, but not everybody was. And this was also true for colonies like Philippi. And the point of being a colony of Rome was not that the citizens of Philippi would eventually go back to Rome to fulfill their citizenship. Instead, the role of every Roman citizen was to bring the benefits of Rome to the place that they lived. They, that's how they advanced the Roman Empire. As a citizen, I'm bringing the benefits with me to wherever I live. And so if you're a Roman citizen in Philippi, it was your responsibility to expand the empire by doing that and spreading it beyond, even beyond Philippi. You see the connection, right? When Paul says, we're citizens of heaven. He's challenging us to live lives right now where we bring the benefits and the values of heaven where we live and where we work and where we play. Everywhere we go and in everything that we do. The goal isn't to live safe and sanitized lives. 
but to mix it up with people that aren't like us and to share the good news of Jesus regardless of what happens. In fact, when it comes to thinking of ourselves as citizens of heaven, I want you to think of it like this. As citizens of heaven, it's our responsibility to bring Jesus to every person we meet and into every situation we face. As citizens of heaven, it's our responsibility to bring Jesus to every person we meet into every situation we, we face. We bring the benefits and the values of heaven into our life. And that first starts by surrendering our identity to Jesus and not worrying so much about fitting in with this world, but knowing where our identity rests. And for those of us that have made the decision to follow Jesus, we have crossed over from death to life. Our sins are forgiven. We're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And he says, now go and live. Embrace your chains. Embrace your gospel assignment and live for me now. Don't be held back. But it's so, it's so easy to get caught up in the world around us. And so I just want you to imagine what would happen. What would happen if we said, I'm a citizen of heaven because of what Jesus has done for me. And when you go to work, whenever you go to work next, the people that you can't stand to be around, what if you looked at it differently and thought, I'm representing Jesus right now. I can bring benefits and values from heaven with me right here or in home or wherever you go. This is what we're called to. We're not waiting to go to heaven someday. It's here now. And it's our responsibility to bring it with us. Imagine what could happen if that's the way we viewed life right here, right now. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need this. We need this. We live in a very affluent area and everybody around us says, just get all that you can for yourself. Be safe. Live sanitized. Find people that are like you. Find places that you fit in and isolate yourself. But Jesus, you call us to something different. Jesus, you were a friend of sinners. You pursued people that weren't like you and they loved you. Would you help us to follow your example, Jesus? Would you help us to listen to Paul's words to embrace our chains as an opportunity for you to do great work? Would you give us eyes to see our gospel assignment wherever you station us? And instead of bellyaching, instead of complaining, instead of sabotaging, would you help us to bring the benefits of heaven to the here and now, to live in anticipation of your return one day, Jesus, but while we wait, we would suffer well for the glory of your name. Jesus, we love you. We praise you, Holy Spirit. Teach us to be citizens of heaven. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.